Akshay, did you always knew what you wanted to do when you passed out from MBA? I was all over the place. Uh, Saurabh, what about you? Yeah, I didn't have any idea, I didn't have any idea. Confused about your career choices? Wondering what steps to take next? In this podcast called Beyond Campus, Saurabh Garg, founder of C4E, and Akshadat, founder of Punnati, are on a mission to crack open the career success code for the youth. Wo bachpan mein kehte the na, tum jo chahe ban sakte ho. So, let's turn the dream into reality. Hi, I'm Sriram Subramanian. I'm the founder and CEO of a B2B SaaS cloud startup called Shopinza. When you hear this conversation with Sriram, founder of Shopping Pal, you will hear him using the word serendipity, the act of finding something good by chance, quite a few times. But by no means is the growth of his current startup a result of mere good luck or fortune. Sriram Subramanian, an alumnus of Carnegie Mellon and University of California Berkeley, worked at tech giants like HP and PayPal before returning to India and starting his own business. Sriram's current venture, Shopping Pal, is a B2B SaaS integration platform as a service or iPaaS in short form. It is a transformative cloud-based integration suite that aims to future-proof businesses. Listen to Sriram talking about his entrepreneurial journey and explain his intricate iPaaS product and its relevance in the post-pandemic world. I got an opportunity uh, at this uh, place called Converges Labs. Uh, Converges, I think, has had a wide variety of businesses from telecom billing, uh, BPO and so on. They had a good setup in India as well, I believe. And they had a very small research focused division where they had advertised for a PhD with eight years experience, saying that we want someone who can bring together both wireless networks and security and, you know, effectively commercialize it for us. And those are the two areas I was really into. And I sort of knew that, I mean, I looked at that role and almost felt like there's even no point in applying. I'm not qualified, but there was something about it where I felt like, no, this is such an amazing thing that I must give it a shot. So that process actually of getting into Converges was about eight months long. In the meantime, I had three other offers that had come through campus uh, with other companies but uh, my heart was set on this so it was pretty much like the last day or two when I was almost about to go elsewhere that they finally came through so I ended up joining Converges in Cincinnati Ohio and and it was it was really cool uh, being amongst um, people that were at the intersection of deep research but also commercialization so I got that very unique opportunity to like these were guys that were in their maybe 40s or 50s with tremendous amount of technical experience while they also gave me the ownership to say, hey, why don't you figure out who should we partner with in the identity management and security space? So that's when I found my path into the Valley, which was a startup called Trustgenix. And uh, they were really building amazing single sign-on technology um, which is very common these days, right? You do it with Facebook, Google, etc. So in the early days of single sign-on, that team, uh, which was only four people at the time, ended up building the first enterprise single sign-on product. And I was lucky to get a chance to join them um, after nine months ten at Converges. So my fiance, who I had met at Carnegie Mellon, we got married and she she got an offer in the Bay Area. So she was already there. And it was quite serendipitous that the company that I, TrustGenX, that I partnered with was actually in the same zip code, <laughs> 
where she was located. And so I ended up working with the Trustgenics team uh, through the standards bodies. So I got to know them well and it sort of worked out in an organic way. And uh, so, yeah, that that was how the shift happened. And then we, we got, in nine months, we got acquired by HP. So I was handling the OEM partnership, all the engineering aspects of that for HP and that went well. So that wasn't a long ride either. So it was nine months in the startup and then uh, an acquisition. So in HP, what was your role? I continued in a development uh, and research role for the product and at HP it was quite interesting that we got support from the management to take the product into different areas ranging from printing to all the other businesses that they had um, even desktops and so on and, and I was very interested in this process because it was very much aligned with how you would commercialize and expand the scope of a product so it was very much like trying to do a startup within HP and and they had assigned people to help us out and uh, I filed a patent in that process for especially around printing and uh, federation. So I think it was one of the earliest concepts, which today it has come to fruition. Uh, you do see single sign-on in the printing scenario also. It went well. And then I think HP went through a rough patch themselves and they were starting to, they had done four acquisitions in the identity space. So they were starting to consolidate the units to a lot of free orgs, etc. And uh, the in that process, I started getting the conviction around saying that now I need to chart a clear path to doing something on my own. I, d- I decided uh, as I was exploring, uh, product management seemed like an interesting thing, uh, especially technical product management. It was close enough to engineering and but sort of being on the other side uh, with engineers. So I got a lucky break at uh, PayPal and eBay when they were together to go into the global operations team there and uh, essentially help them uh, flatten out the skyrocketing ops costs by building out uh, technology around IVR systems and uh, also BPM workflows. So, so IVR, of course, is the, is a simple process of uh, when you call in uh, to any place uh, and then it, t- it takes as an automated yeah, press one that for this press. yeah or you know more sophisticated ones that will also not have you do presses but guide you just through voice responses at in, at some scale and uh, we realized that uh, we really needed that to be very sophisticated because at paypal uh, there were a lot of fraud rings that started operating uh, in different parts of the world and doing attacks and in general when people lose money or money doesn't is get stuck or there's a dispute you really want quick resolutions at scale and you just cannot de- keep deploying thousands of people it does the business model just doesn't work so all that work was around automation and it really gave me the foundation to understand what automation can do because a lot of times you you hear about automations and integrations and it's you know it's hard to build an appreciation for it until you see that impact firsthand and that sort of led was i would say the very foundation of what led to what shop and pal does and what we are doing uh, today. So why did you decide to leave PayPal? So I was uh, in parallel pursuing uh, B-School at uh, Berkeley in the evening weekend program. You see the history of UC Berkeley, a lot of social movements and radical innovations have come from there. So again, you get exposed to a lot of people. uh, Like I had this group of friends in my class where we just said, okay, let's, let's just meet every weekend and informally brainstorm about things, just catch up, right? And, And that was quite an interesting process process which gave me that uh, started building this urge and urgency around let's go do something and in that process part of it was uh, just the environment there but 
also in parallel seeing the problems that the transition to the cloud had started creating for merchants because i was uh, running uh, an initiative called turbo checkout which was cross linking basically it's like single sign on across ebn paypal so you use your credentials and if you go google turbo checkout you'll find it today uh, i was a product manager uh, who built it there and uh, the experience there was very useful in terms of talking to merchants firsthand and understanding that Yes, there is a lot of promise around all the best of breed cloud systems. But as businesses move there, their business processes and all the workflows that they need to accomplish, um, which are fairly complex, are not being catered to by this disparate set of systems uh, that are in in this new world. So that was a recurring theme that I heard uh, whenever I was engaging with merchants of different sizes, especially in the SME segment. And and you know, my heart would go out to a lot of them to say that you know, there's this. you know business owner that has invested his sweat and effort over 10 years to build something meaningful and this is such a struggle now because he wants or she wants to get so much out of technology but they're not able to do it because they don't have the right guidance or tooling so i started connecting with uh, the audience and the problem in a way that you know the conviction started building that this is something that is worth solving it's a global issue and it is really hurting smes so that was really the i would say the genesis of uh, shopping pal and what led me to eventually come down this path when did you move back to india and why did you make that move my wife and i we moved back uh, in uh, 2014 august of 2014 and actually the trigger was because we decided we had decided to adopt daughters uh, in india and uh, we had spoken to an orphanage this was when the system was not uh, online as it is today um, we had spoken to an on orphanage and they had said that basically that look we it would you would have to come at short notice and we were in agreement there uh, when we got the call in uh, july um, 2014 at that time we did not have much of a base we had not set up any permanency in the us and uh, so we showed up we were back in india within two and a half weeks and uh, you know we we adopted our first daughter at the time so that was the main basically the trigger and uh, no, but was it a mandate for you to stay in india post adoption or you just wanted to be in india no in uh, as per there's something called the hague convention uh, which is mm. a treaty between different countries with regards to adoption so if you look at the us india treaty uh, which for is it requires that post adoption if you want to return to the us and you must spend a minimum of 2 years outside in in whichever so if you have adopted in india then you have to per and for that child yeah you have to spend stay in that country for 2 years before coming back but but for us i think it became clear that uh, we were able to get well set and uh, there wasn't any immediate plan to to rush back to the US so we we did a second adoption uh, also in 2016 and uh, and of course two years have more than two years have passed since that also but we have uh, continued and we will for the foreseeable future okay so when did you uh, like you know end the freelance work and decide to become a full time founder what was that uh, point of time like like what what led up to it Yeah so I uh, around 2016 um as I was uh, in, in I think we had figured out quite a few things and we had even started some work with the POS and uh, payments players and I think I had started getting a good handle of what's really 
the problem that exists at scale and how we could really help businesses um, automate their workflows. And, and on the other side, how could we really benefit these cloud-based systems, whether that's a pause payments or a ERP company that is struggling today also in the market trying to sell to SMEs. So that thesis had start to form. And, uh, and then while I was here, uh, I was already in India. I had started building. I see one of the key factors is can you start to have a build a good team and scale that up, right? When you're talking about a startup. So that process started to take off where Angelist had started to become sort of popular or startup minded folks who were hanging out there. So I didn't have much of a network, but I had put out, I created a profile, put out some posts and started getting some good raw talent into the company. And that's, and at the same time, uh, while I was just started talking about, Hey, these are the things that I'm working on. And, uh, as I was exploring, I was going to conferences, um, in Mumbai and so on to figure out what's going on in India. I ended up meeting a couple of good people also that said, Hey, would love to advise and help out much way possible. And like kind of seeing this from the lens of, Oh, this is an amazing problem you're solving or like this can really be done at scale. So I got some good validation from industry veterans, like people who had built multi-billion dollar companies themselves to say that this this really makes sense. I can see why uh, a lot of people may want to use this. So having that validation and support, um, both from a team and ecosystem perspective, was the catalyst, I would say, to, to then from 2016 onwards for me to start looking at this as more like, okay, this is a venture that must be built properly and scaled in the right way. So what was the original thesis of the product that you wanted to build? You were looking to build like a middleware in a way, which would connect uh, different cloud platforms with each other or what was it exactly? The original thesis was that uh, retailers were lacking different applications. So they would go and pick whichever system, uh, let's say any point of sale or payment system that they want to work with. But then they said, oh, I have stores and warehouses. I don't know how my replenishment is going to work in this new setup. So I felt that that the apps opportunity was very significant. In the, if you were able to build a scalable way to create a large set of apps that could address the SME ecosystem, and especially if you could open source bulk of that, it would be a game changer. So that was the starting point to say, let's start creating apps for solving these different problems, but by creating a common underlying data layer so that when I create the second and third and fourth app, it's a very efficient and almost like could be done in two weeks or less. And the second part of it was we were lucky enough to find the early customers that allowed us to open source the product. So even today, if you go to our GitHub profile, Shop and Pal, you'll see that for a small team, uh, the, the body of open source we have created is quite disproportionate because that, that is very much in our DNA. And that is something that makes us very appealing to both businesses and cloud platforms is the affordability, 
right? So even today in the post-pandemic situation, we're able to um, make ourselves very relevant, affordable, and we're seeing growth. And that's part of the reason is that it was always in our vision and our DNA to say that for the small guy, for the SME, how do you make a solution that is not just world-class, but that doesn't hurt their wallet? So who were some of your early partners, uh, early adopters? Uh, there was uh, Wend, which is a New Zealand-based point-of-sale company. And uh, even to this day, they are our largest customer and partner. Uh, and I got, uh, they were, they had built out a great product. They were seeing success in multiple countries. And their CEO was a very good product and engineering guy. He saw the potential. So he gave us the chance to build out some of the early integrations. And in turn... What, what exactly did you build for them? The first one uh, was this stock replenishment application, which I mentioned which uh, we we open sourced they love that and and we also brought at the time their largest customer uh, that we found in the us where you know it was very serendipitous we had started a meetup for local tech people and um, the, this guy showed up and the head of it he didn't really introduce himself properly but then he did and did his homework went back and said, you know, you guys could really help me. I'm looking to transition um, to a nice cloud-based setup and I have these surrounding challenges I want to solve as well. So, uh, and how has the journey been since then? Yeah, it's it's been, overall, it's been a great journey. Uh, with, of course, as with any startup, you go through your moments of, hey, uh, I might shut down tomorrow. So I have a couple of those. Um, but, all in all, uh, being able to build an exceptional team, a very solid foundation for the technology. Because now uh, we are, each deployment that we go into, it's scaling very fast. Basically, we go from, if we start working with, let's say, this payments company in Palo Alto, we, and where they, they used our, they deployed our accounting connectors, meaning that for their payment transaction data, a merchant can go into the product they're able to set up their accounting integration from within the payments product to, let's say, a QuickBooks desktop or online. And in that process, they're able to also migrate years worth of historical data. And from today onwards, then their every transaction starts syncing in real time to their accounting system. Right. So right. Then okay. the company, uh, you know, it was a, quite an eye opener for us to see that we were able to save up to 90% of the cost compared to what it would have taken them to build with in-house or work with, let's say, some custom developer to use our connectors and similar savings around time to market as well because what we have is ready-to-use plug-and-play connectors. So it if someone's using our established already existing connectors, it's a very quick process uh, for them to go to market and they were able to in a self-serve model for customers they were able to start scaling it and within the first two three weeks they had already touched uh, about 80 customers so so then that that started giving us the validation that okay what we are building can scale up very quickly and now we're ready also for the big leagues in terms of pitching to the number one players in this market and and hence being able to impact 
millions of merchants right not just hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. okay so uh, what what is your pricing model like like is it like a one time setup fees that you take or is it like a saas where you take a monthly subscription fee so what is that like yeah so for that let me explain to you what is the engagement model and journey and associated with that i'll also explain pricing so our primary customer as a first step is that uh, we go sell to a cloud system now let's say that could be as i have said a pos a payments company it could be someone is in the retail or uh, restaurant space for example um we we are working in uh, in the food space actively as well right now so when we go sell to that company they would want a certain set of connectors slash integrations to their ecosystem now they look at our portfolio and say oh these three or four i want right away to get started with so those that already exist we are able to license them in a typical saas subscription model yeah, additionally the value proposition or differentiation that we bring is our entire uh, setup is which is microservices based we are able to take that set of core services or connectors that they want and deploy it inside of their environment see the benefit is that the data doesn't leave their premises so their the the company or their customers don't have to worry about it which is a huge value prop for them in uh, in light of everything that has happened you know you look at facebook and other fiascos in terms of data leakages so once that's done then they say look i want actually these 10 other connectors to various systems so then in that process they are funding the development of those new connectors so there is an approximate so uh, cost uh, to involved in that let's say for example anywhere from uh, 2 to 5000 dollars per connector depending on what that is so then we build out that portfolio for them start keep going live with the things that keep getting built while depending on the roadmap we are able to also build out new scalable integrations but the important thing is once we build out those new connectors now the thousand other companies and apps that are out there can now also access that so our portfolio of plug and play connectors is rapidly increasing through this process because it's not a one off just for this company but something that the entire world can benefit from so now once that happens then it's time to go live and get into the hands of businesses what we find now is that our cloud platform partners they want us to drive the setup and integration also first because we have built very good technology around automating data migrations and setup which is part of the same platform and second is with a very small but highly efficient ops team we are able to now bring on board a merchant for as little as 2 to 300 dollars per customer we're able to say that this merchant signed up for a trial and now within 2 weeks they have all their historical data and a beautifully working and integrated setup in the new environment so we find that uh, all the customers that we are working with they have started relying on us for onboarding and this is where the business model innovation lies which is that the cloud platform became a customer and then a channel for us 
and now because we deliver such value to their customers and in some sense we are working as one team with them we work directly with these merchants which means that we have a, that direct relationship which typically may not exist in a channel scenario if you see how channels work the channel does not expose the customer but the degree of value that we create and the kind of things we do makes it possible or it makes sense for the cloud platform to hand the customer to work with us directly and that is very powerful uh, in terms of having that direct relationship and then helping the merchant through the journey over the next 2 3 years or the lifespan that they can now rely on us directly and then the merchant can look at the the rest of the portfolio saying hey there are these three things you have that i could really benefit from so can you please help me get on board with those other things so that's those are the two facets i hope that makes sense and so then the merchant side just to close the point on pricing is for a lot of the small things that the merchants would use uh we start as low as 30 dollars a month for a merchant to use one of our offerings and on the higher spectrum if if there is a mid-sized retailer or someone who's using it they may be paying us about 1500 dollars a month so that's that's sort of the sme side of the equation and so those are both um unique customer segments and this channel aspect comes in between that links the two hmm okay so your customers would comprise of a would be companies that have some sort of tech product where they want to integrate with other products so that the customer has uh, it's a better value proposition for their end customer that would be one set of customers for you and the other set of customers is uh, online retailers uh, who want uh, some sort of Uh, better integration with other cloud tools uh, uh, who have like a in-house uh, tech uh, for running their retail not like someone who's on shopify i guess but someone who who would have built a custom uh, online retail kind of a module and then wants it to be connected with other uh, modules or other tools correct see in it's a quite a broad uh, set of customers so even if you take it could be any retailer or for that matter any sme that wants to bring in automation uh, in his or her business no but this would definitely be someone who has their own tech team inside right otherwise if somebody was to just for example say okay i want to use salesforce for my automation in that case they would not really be a customer for you but it's possible that salesforce might be a customer for you in case salesforce wants to integrate with other tools but the yeah you're right that on one side the customer customer doesn't have need to have a tech team we create a lot of value for those people who don't have tech teams because they're able to plug and play our technology without having an it guy to run it but this would necessarily be someone who has their own uh, custom technology built rather than someone who's just taken an off the shelf uh, solution from a salesforce or a, you know any of these cloud solutions uh, so Shopify, not or... necessarily so if someone has taken let's say a salesforce and a shopify and some set of standard solutions over time we you will see that we would be in the app stores of all these ecosystems plugging in various important gaps 
right? And and today, of course, our expertise is in retail, restaurants, and service businesses. But we will we're uh, we will be vertical agnostic and serving a wide range of industries, and we'll be filling all those key gaps in the ecosystems. And that's an active work stream for us today. So what happens is, and this is the evolution where we are headed now, and where I think we can create tremendous value is for the business to look at Sharp and Pal and say, you know, I don't necessarily. So let's say that uh, someone like a Shopify Salesforce uh, or any other company that we work with, so they bring them a solution to address one need. Now there are five other needs, unmet needs for that business. And so that's where they are working with us directly to fill that gap. So it's not the relationship and the exercise may start with the cloud platform, but we are the ones that complete the journey for the business. And that's where we will be investing heavily in creating a, a marketplace and a direct channel for businesses to come to us and just do an a la carte take off all the things that they want to automate their business and just plug and play, set it up as you would see with any SaaS offering, right? So that's, that's why it becomes powerful because you, they're not necessarily just reliant on the cloud platform to get all the value. It can certainly be a starting point. So in a way you would be competing with Zapier once you have that kind of self-service, uh, thing in place yes yes so we, you are right that as a, from a business model or marketplace perspective it is aligned with what zapier does today however uh, the fundamental difference is that we're talking about the entire scope of b2b systems and long tail apps that exist today which are not supported by a zapier or anybody right so we have customers today that are experts in uh, swimming pool management software or uh, golf courses and various types of successful startups in different niches that want to be able to talk to successful point of sales accounting and other types of systems so and there is a massive long tail of such companies all over the world so we we would be uh, they uh, the um, empowering all this entire ecosystem of these long tail apps and all the systems that want to talk to each other. But uh, yeah, fundamentally, the marketplace model uh, is important and necessary because otherwise you don't want your business to be entirely channel based because the merchant also or the business won't get the entire benefit of the offering in that case. So uh, and the second part, which I already mentioned that their data would still sit inside uh, whichever cloud platform that we have already integrated with that the merchant data is safe inside of their core system that they trust already versus with a Zapier you do have to release your data to them okay so uh, with a, when you're using Zapier then they actually the data passes through them absolutely so with the Zapier it is going to, so it's going from your system A to the Zapier cloud, and then from there to system B. So that may not be okay for a lot of businesses. And I feel that there's going to be a radical shift where 
that becomes less and less acceptable to business right and and that that's the vision that we have to say that we will make our deployment model has supported that from the start okay so here's a hypothetical question say now you know my bread and butter business is a recruitment business and we are running our workflows on salesforce and our source of uh, profiles or job seekers is linkedin so if i was to tell you i want a way to connect my linkedin job posting with my salesforce uh, workflow tool so uh, would this be something that you would be able to do easily and would uh, both linkedin and salesforce kind of play nice and give you access to their apis or whatever you need to get this done or you know how would that happen yeah so the short answer is yes that is very much doable and in the scope of our roadmap may not be the next 3 months but certainly uh, beyond that horizon because these uh, if you look at salesforce the way app exchange has been built it was the first successful b2b marketplace for apps and they have always believed in having the open api and as long as you qualify and you're building according to that standard you can go and publish in app exchange if you don't publish there's an option to keep it private as well so we have both models and it is something that we are exploring very seriously we just want to make sure that we enter with the right set of offerings when we touch these types of systems so that's on the salesforce side what about on the linkedin side will they give you access uh so that you are able to take the data from linkedin when somebody applies for a job and push it to salesforce yeah i believe there shouldn't be an issue there because linkedin is not a crm company right so so they it's very much in their interest to support this kind of a workflow uh, to to do this so that businesses like you can get that benefit so but i would in general do you need to speak to these companies or do they have like a standard documentation and you, you just like kind of follow a process and you get the access that you need yeah in, in many cases we don't need to speak to them uh we we apply they vet the application seriously and and then there is an online process to get through it what we do is we supplement it sometimes with having discussions with senior management because it really helps align on what is the shared vision why are we doing this and then they could support us in the right ways if needed and in general do uh, indian cloud products also uh, have that kind of openness of collaboration so say again i am going back to the recruitment example so like the biggest player in india is nokri.com so would nokri.com also be as open to uh, doing an api integration and allowing you to take that data and push it into salesforce see i can't say for sure because we have not explored that path at all Hmm. Um, but in general in uh, in uh, do you find that indian companies are open to this we we have not worked done much work with indian cloud companies and we when we have explored with few folks like uh, tally and whichever the one the major players that are there uh, the big difference becomes that the level of sophistication of both the mindset around an open api and ecosystem is missing in a lot of companies and i think that's where as a uh, industry country and uh, 
to be really be a global success right for a lot of companies i think that is a key shift that needs to happen because everybody is building in their own silo versus if you see the best of breed cloud companies in us and europe they have understood that the platform and the ecosystem is going to be the one of the biggest drivers the very fact that i can talk to a salesforce or a shopify is going to bring me let's say 100000 200000 customers and and i think that that somehow is missing especially in some of the well established companies in india they have not been agile enough to make that shift and i hope that that will change fairly quickly and as we we have started engaging with um few players in in the pos and payment space and we see that there are some of the newer startups are actually pretty good about it but the more uh, established guys you know 10 years plus that's where the gap exists mm-hmm. yeah okay so uh, i'm sure you would have heard about postman crossing a 2 billion valuation so uh, how does postman fit into the ecosystem vis-a-vis you are they like somebody who would help you because they would help companies build api or, or you know just help me understand that yeah see postman on one side postman has this aspect of how do i make uh, an average or entry level engineer get comfortable experimenting with apis so that they can foster many many more exponentially higher integrations happening and api usage across the world so otherwise there has always been a high barrier to entry to say oh there is this api how do i authenticate how do i get data how do i push data and you you know in the past there have been these sophisticated engineers who have done that work but the main benefit that postman has brought is is broken that barrier saying no you know akshay even maybe you could feed in this basic data and see how this api works right even if you're not coding on a regular basis so on one side i think they have this very important role to play uh, which and it's uh, validated by their growth and what's going on is is they are going to create facilitate this rapid journey towards an integrated higher integrations and an ecosystem that plays well together but there uh, it's a more of a horizontal play and an enabler for them as i understand it they are not in the business of connecting specific systems okay so if i could uh, kind of like just throw in a comparison so in a way postman would be like somebody like a company which is building highways and you would be a company which is running a transportation service like say a, a, a like a bus service which is taking people from destination a to b uh maybe to a certain degree that analogy works but the highway is that highway part of it is also being provided by the cloud the platform itself because as as a payments company i am doing all the hard work of creating a robust scalable api and postman comes in and says that i will let you explore this and hundreds of others with ease so it is it is creating another layer of convenience and use on top of these apis to make that transition 
effective and smoother. For example, tomorrow, so we are in the process of also launching our own API um, for the outside world. So for example, if you see in the restaurant space today, there are a lot of companies that are sending orders still via fax. And so if those guys continue without really hooking into this food app and restaurant point of sales and uh, cloud kitchens revolution, uh, they, they will miss out on a lot, even though they have been around for a long time, they have a good customer base. But if you go tell that company, hey, in the next one month, why don't you build out a great API? That's just not going to work because that's not their DNA. So what we are taking is a reverse approach to say, here's an extremely simple way to pass data from your system to us and we will pipe it to whoever wants it in the food ecosystem. Right. So, so that's our journey towards saying, how do we also enable the long tail of uh, whether that's food apps or service businesses and so on, who are not in a position, uh, who don't have the expertise and the ability to build APIs themselves, but they, it's very important for them to, even for survival to connect to the rest of the ecosystem. So we can be that bridge as well. And Postman would again fit in that journey of saying this guy who has been sending his orders by fax, he has this one junior engineer on his team. That's it. So that junior engineer can now use Postman and get a good handle of how to talk to us. So Postman is essentially a tool for developers. Like it helps developers to learn about APIs and utilize them better. Is that what it is? That is, yeah. I, key value proposition for them is to uh, simplify and dumb down so that an, even an entry-level developer could work with APIs. There are many thing, other things they do, but this has been the biggest value prop. So, uh, how much revenue did you make in the first year of operations? See, initially, we the revenue was, I think, less than $30,000 that we did in the first year. And... Uh, we, we were very focused on, of course, building out the technology. We had just one large customer who was uh, funding the operation. And uh, we had not really brought in much external money and we were really looking at scaling this organically. Um, but once that happened and we, we built the product to a point where it started working for this US customer and, and it was open source. Uh, so we when our partners like Vent saw it, they were very excited because it was pretty unique. Uh, nobody else was doing that. I think that's where it started hitting us that we do need to look at as a product company, we should start talking to investors and raising some money for this. So, so we were uh, fortunate to find a few angels and small funds that were willing to back us in the initial days to build out the technology to a level uh, where it is today. And I think from this point on, in fact, we have kicked off another fundraise just about a month ago and already gotten a couple of commitments from angels and funds. Um, and, and part of that is because we have achieved profitability and fortunately are continuing uh, to grow revenue, even in the face of the recession, I think it it helps investors understand that uh, that we are bringing in a painkiller and not a vitamin 
right? So that that part uh, has helped us. And so now we are faced with some very interesting uh, growth opportunities in terms of the absolute best cloud companies wanting to work with us in terms of the, the market leaders in various segments. However, it does require investments from us to be able to scale up our integrations across, let's say, 15 of these companies in the next year. So, and that's the reason. So that's the path that we are subscribing to say is that, look, three years or four years from now, we have to be at a scale of at least of, of you know, 15, 20,000 merchants using us globally. Then we need to invest in that growth and partnerships right now. And, uh, and in this time when the rest of the world is nervous and hunkered down and very risk averse, we have to actually step up the game and make those investments. So this, we believe is now is a good time to do that. So we are actively raising money, hiring and going very aggressive on new partnerships as well. Okay. How much did you close last financial year at? Like, which just ended in thirty uh, first March. Thirty first March. Uh, I would have to look up the numbers and uh, get back to you on the exact number there. But I, I, no, I mean, like broad range. About, uh, like... about a hundred and forty thousand dollars analyzed, and uh, we what we are seeing is about three to four x growth revenue growth on an annualized basis. So that's what we plan to continue now uh, from here on. And that evidence we already have for the current financial year, um, we are already on track to to be at- to so You'll cross half a million yes, this year. Yes, yes, comfortably. Amazing. Cross half a million. Okay, so, amazing. So we, amazing. we, we were uh, actually are, we, we are uh, very much set on the trajectory to do, uh, to try and cross a million, but, uh, you know, given the situation, I think uh, we have to be realistic in terms of where the global market is. And also that uh, for us, more than revenue, absolute revenue growth, it's about investing in these long-term partnerships, right? So that's going to be uh, in terms of the growth focus, that's where we are what is your team like? Like how many people on the tech side and so on? Like what does the organization look like? Yes, yeah, we have a total of uh, 14 people. And uh, it's majority of the folks are on uh, tech and basically split between engineers, uh, product manager, designer, QA, etc. And that forms the bulk of the team. 10, 10 out of the 14 are in those functions. Because that, that is who we are, right? We are a, basically a product company. And, and we have uh, we recently onboarded a great uh, CMO who is driving all of the marketing and inbound sales initiatives. And then we have a couple of people on the CS ops side. What I mentioned around onboarding and data ops. So, so that's where we have, we have seen tremendous growth. So we're scaling that part of the organization as well. So there's one person leading it. And at this point, we actually have three people contributing part-time to it. But with that, in the last few months, we were able to uh, more than quadruple revenue, even with that. Setup. Because technology is at the core of it. So, um, but then, yeah, we, we, we feel that 
that's an investment we are making to scale up that part and i imagine it would all be remote work right now yes uh, we we were always set up like that in fact that is uh, one of the main things that has helped us also that we did not it wasn't like this big shift for us uh, even my developers people who were local would sometimes make the choice that and not show up in office two or three days a week and that was fine and and there's enough obviously enough tooling and uh, understanding amongst the team to get work done in the right way um so we're set up well pretty remotely and that also i think makes it appealing for a lot of um engineers and other folks to join us because we are uh, quite supportive and i have always tried to follow the silicon valley model in terms of ownership and just you know use your best judgment in terms of how you want to do work so our uh, entire setup is uh, remote and functioning well and uh, part of it is that we are following the same practices that we espouse to businesses which is that our product offering is made all the more relevant by the current post pandemic situation where every business has to move to a low touch or no touch model and that requires very speedy customized and secure integrations between all the systems that they use today and the basis of driving automation is integration so without that no business can be fully automated so we adopt that ourselves in everything we use and that is what we want to bring as a value to market and to society is to say that when a retailer restaurant or any business that has had faced hardships has scaled down today with very low staff potentially even lost their real estate we want to contribute towards the growth and sustainability of this enterprise which we can now enable via all our partnerships with the uh, various cloud providers and provide the right uh, tech framework for them to sustain beyond campus is a production of the podium.in powered by career launcher If you like this show then we are sure that you will love our other shows on subjects like entrepreneurship marketing books and drama check out the podium.in for a complete list of all our shows